I am Neil Edwards, and this is The Leadership Range, where we elevate the voices of black and brown coaches, leaders, and allies, and have soulful conversations about all things at the intersections of leadership, relationships and teams, well-being, and inclusion. In today's episode, I talk with Coach KJ, Kevin Johnson. We get right into it. The range here is amazing. We navigate a ton of stuff through storytelling. We hear about being adopted, being a church boy, homes burning to the ground, coaching in Starbucks, spirituality, leadership, resilience, self-awareness and power, edges, shadows, the ocean, conversations with our inner voices, and more. This is the leadership range, folks. We could have gone on forever. I'll say this, pull out the recliner, sit back, relax, come into the story with us, and stay to the end for a very special gift from KJ. You will not want to miss it. KJ, welcome. Thank you for joining me today on the Leadership Range. I really love that you said yes. And for me, this is an exciting moment. We're just going to have a conversation today. And I'm I'm so stoked to do this. Welcome. How are you doing? Neil, I wouldn't have missed this for anything. I'm doing great. I'm excited to be on the show. Yeah, I think everybody's going to be excited to hear you. So I know KJ, and I want to talk a little bit about how we met first, or at least how we know each other and share a little bit about you. But I'm going to have you fill in gaps and stuff like that, because it's better for people to hear from you. And I might I might pull a few things out. So KJ and I worked together uh, in the same company for a number of years as executive coaches. And um, we were the only two Black male coaches in that group mm-hmm. uh, at the time. And uh, uh, when I started, you were already there, but you were you were taking some time off and then you came back and we yeah. met. I heard about the legendary KJ, Coach KJ. Oh my, yeah. oh my. Oh my, oh my. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, so, so we work together as professional coaches, colleagues, brothers in the same uh, corporate space. And we've just had you know, some great experiences together, delivering everything that we deliver. You're a coach, you got a business, you're working with leaders and executives um, around the country, you're a trainer. Tell people a little bit more, uh, more details about what it is you do, who you serve. Sure, and and thank you for that. It's been a joy, our our journey of getting to know each other. And, you know, I, ha- I hold you in a, a high regard uh, in how you hold your your being and how you show up in the world. So I, I, I draw a great deal of uh, insight just by watching you, observing you move in the world. My work in the world is uh, around helping leaders uh, reframe their situations, their context, and find the assets, find the resources, find the tools, uh, both within themselves and those around them uh, that enable them to be more effective as leaders enable them to wield more influence and, you know, generate more impact as a result of the changes that happen both in and around them. Uh, I've been doing this work for uh, just over 22 years. Started at a Starbucks in Old Town, Chicago, uh, working with somebody who paid me 50 bucks to coach him. And um, now I'm working with chief operations officers of, you know, uh, global firms, and uh, nonprofit organizations, uh, executive directors, loving the work that I do. It's the same work, 
the same work I did for 50 bucks is the same work I'm doing for 20 grand. You know, it's, it doesn't really matter at this point. I, I love what I do. And to be able to sit with someone, hear them as a human being, share their highs, their lows, their challenges, and see them at their most vulnerable and witness them emerge from that strong and still vulnerable, still accessible, still emotionally accessible is, is one of the most beautiful things in the world. And, and I, I love everything about what I do. Mm, yeah, that is so delicious to hear that. It's funny too, because I was like, don't tell them that, you know, it's the same thing, 50 bucks for 20,000 to put them now. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> you know, but I, it's the, it's it the same same demand, you know, and pe people want to know that they're going to be heard. And I mean, what what no matter what they're paying, they still want the same, <laughs> want the same experience. Someone that worked for a pro bono is still like, but you're going to give me that that experience, right? And I think it's incumbent upon us. It's part of my own calling that if, if I don't deliver, I mean, I'm, I remember growing up in, in uh, the Pentecostal church, and choir directors will say, listen, you sing as if you are singing in front of 5,000 people. There might be two people in the congregation that Wednesday night, but I want you to sing like there's 5,000 people there. And so that's, that's the training ground right there. So if I'm coaching for somebody who's paying me 50, coaching for somebody who's paying me 500, they get the same. They get the same value. And, the same and it's song. a joy. Yeah. Yeah. I might have to ask you to sing a little later mm. before, we, before we hang up. You're just we just, we'll get me in trouble today. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Kevin, there's a couple things that you said that I that's really important for people to understand. And I, and I love it. You said you help people, humans, leaders, whatever, reframe. And we coaches do this reframing. And it's a new way of looking at things. And we use all sorts of things in our coaching, right? Mm -hmm. And it reminds me of um, a coaching experience I had, and it's about reframing. And I was sitting down coaching one day, this, this leader, this executive, and I had a kid's, one of my kids, uh, actually it's my book, because my, my wife bought it for me because I love it. But it's, uh, it's uh, Pete the Cat. It's a kid's book mm -hmm. and his magic sunglasses. <laughs> And they're, they're cool sunglasses and they have blue lens. Mm -hmm. And in the book, it just talks, he just kind of goes on this journey and runs into all of these characters who are in this melancholy place. And he just has them put on the magic blue sunglasses. And the birds are singing and everything's good and everything's changed. So we do this wonderful work of helping folks to reframe you know, put on a new lens, adjust how they're looking at and how they're receiving the world. I think that's, and it's a beautiful thing to do. And then when you see it happen, it's, it's extremely fulfilling. I love it. And I'm, I, I sat here and I Googled Pete the cat because I've never heard of that. And now I have to get one of these, either I'm going to get an action figure or a t-shirt or a book just because, just because of your story here. Yeah, I love yeah. it. And, and I see and the glasses too. So it, that's it, glasses, it's cool. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This client, this client, he did the same thing you did. He Googled it. And for like a year and a half, he put it on uh, the background for his iPhone. Mm. And it, re it reminded him of our conversation and what he needed to do with yeah. structure. And when he got his promotion into the executive office, mm -hmm. he sent me an email with the Pete Gap photo in it saying, thank you. <laughs> See, that's the magic though, right? You, you give give somebody uh, something that they can anchor 
a shift on, you know, and, and that visual was powerful enough for him to think every time I think of this image, it reminds me that I need to shift how I'm seeing things. It's powerful and it's simple, you know, and yet it, it, that's, that's the thing that we bring. That's the thing that we offer to the people that we work with, a way to see things with a different set of shades on. Yeah, even from a kindergarten book. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, the, the other thing that you said that used to throw me early on in my coaching, and I think it throws a lot of coaches, because we throw these things around and like, what does that mean? Holding space, for example, mm -hmm. there was holding space, right? You said witness. <laughs> and <laughs> like, what, what, what the hell is witness, mm -hmm. right? And um, experience again that I had, and I, I'd be curious if you have these things, when you have a long-term coaching relationship with somebody, you come to really know them. There's authenticity and vulnerability and, and you, you, you see them, there's deep listening. Mm -hmm. When clients have a coach, they have somebody that listens to them like no other, right? mm -hmm. <laughs> And they reveal things and you hold it. And over time, a client may come into a session and they may start talking foolishness. You see some version of them that's really not productive, yeah. some small version. And not because you had notes, but because you were, or I, or any coach was an authoritative witness of them at their best at some point. You get to call bullshit. Yeah, absolutely. You were the witness and you have authority and you put up that mirror and you say, no, that's not the best you that I know. Yeah. Who is talking now? That's not the version that we, we're working with today. You ever had that kind of experience? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I think sometimes a client will forget, you know, who, who I am, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. and like you do remember that we're in a contract to be clear with each other. We're in a contract to be mirrors, right? I'm here to witness you. And when I see that you are out of alignment with the thing that you say you wanna be, it's my job, it's my obligation, it's my duty to hold that mirror up and say, uh-uh, you're an imposter right now. You're not being the you that you said you wanted to be. And, and without that, it's, it's like, if I let that slide, I might as well just walk away, you know? What's the point? The, the relationship is all about my ability to to remind them you know I, I was recently watching the lion king the old version the, the cartoon version i have yet to watch the new one i something about me just doesn't want to integrate a new version of the lion king but there's this one line towards the end where simba's looking into the sky and his his father who has passed on is looking down and saying remember remember, you know, remember. that James Earl Jones yeah. voice. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that prompted something in me about the idea of remembering that the idea of like, there are times when we can lose parts of ourselves. It's not that they're gone, but we just kind of stuff them away, tuck them away, tuck them to the left or the right under a pillow, whatever, it's because they're inconvenient in the moment. And uh, whether it's a societal situation or, or peer pressure or family, our full authentic selves aren't on display because of some situation that we don't feel totally safe in exposing ourselves. And we dismember ourselves in order to fit in. And so to remember is literally to bring ourselves back together, to remember ourselves so that we can fully show up. Oh man, I love that too. To remember, I usually say come back in integrity with ourselves because mm. we have all of these parts that we've forgotten or we've marginalized or whatever. And yeah, remember, 
because we all we've all heard it. Oh, many of us have yeah. heard it. Remember who you are. Right. Right. Remember where you're from. Remember what you're made of. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. And so we get to witness lovingly, you know, holding our clients accountable, yeah. but uh, very powerfully. Like, uh oh, wait a minute, we have a contract. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we have some agreements here. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, those are just two things that when you when you said them, um, really jumped out at me because it's what we do. It's what we do as coaches, you know, elevating uh, humans. So I want to talk about and and I want people to hear. And I'm curious about how you grew up, where you came from, and really through the lens of how it began to shape your leadership. Mm. How it began to create the KJ that's here today. So share a little bit about where you grew up, how you grew up, maybe somewhere around 10 years old, plus or minus, wherever you choose, mm -hmm. but you started to create those things that you would remember, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you well, know? yeah, that's great, man. I'm going to have to violate one rule. I have to go back further because I was adopted. Oh, go back. I was adopted. All right. And so right. I, I, was, I was born in Toledo, Ohio, immediately put up for adoption with Catholic Charities and spent two years with some caregiver. I have no idea who that is. I don't have any records or anything like that. I was adopted at age two. And then I was raised in Lima in Cincinnati, Ohio. It was in that context, uh, growing up in, uh, in my, my adopted family, the Johnson family, Mary and John, uh, raised me in uh, a Pentecostal church environment where anybody who's been raised in a, in a Pentecostal church environment and just about any other traditional church environment is that kids tend to be pushed towards the front this time of year to say a speech or give a, a, a recital or sing a song or perform in some way for the Christmas concert. And I remember one of the first times that I was put out in front of my peers and, and, and the entire church to recite something. And I remembered it, I prepared, I'd done my study work and I was maybe eight, nine years old. And I shared and I got this huge applause from, from the audience. And I was taken aback. I was a very quiet kid. I didn't really like attention, but that blew me away that somehow I had said something. It wasn't one of those like, oh, he's so cute. That's wonderful. It was like, ah, you know, <laughs> and I was like, what did I do? And so I, I learned that I had something. I, ha I had some kind of, you know, way about me, some, some pers uh, persona or a way that I showed up that in inspired people or, or, you know, caused people to respond. I didn't fully leverage that for years. But I had these little glimpses over the course of the next 20 years of that, where I would venture into something, I would do really well, I get great feedback from it. And then I would hunker back down into a smaller version of myself. And a lot of that roots back to my adoption. Because it wasn't until I was about 11, that I found out that I was adopted. But all that time, I knew something wasn't right. I knew that there was something missing. I had this nagging sense that I didn't fit. Part of it was just cognitive um, because I didn't look like anybody around me. <laughs> and I started asking questions like my father's dark skin, my mother's kind of a Creole looking black woman. And, mm -hmm. you know, between the two of them, it didn't match. And then my younger brother was born and I didn't mm -hmm. look like him. 
So, you know, in my mind, everyone's telling me, you know, you're our son, you're our son. Mm -hmm. But cognitively, it was dissonance, right? Mm -hmm. And finally, I was like, look, this is not working. Something's not right. How come I don't look like my cousins? How come I don't look like my brother? How come I don't look like you? And they finally broke down and told me. That opened up a whole different world for me to understand. It makes sense of why I felt that way. But it also began a journey in me to help other people feel like they belong. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't something I made a conscious decision about, but from that point on, all the way through high school, college, through youth groups, through leadership groups in college, I would gravitate towards taking the lead, not just to lead other people, but so that I could help other people feel like they belonged. It was a very intentional thing. I didn't know so much about driving things as much as I knew how to gather people. Mm-hmm. And I knew how to, to listen. I knew how to hear. And, and that began this trend towards, I want to be someone who has influence. I want to be someone who actually can host and welcome and connect other folks. And so I got into sales. I got into speaking. I got into training, you know, worked for the state of Michigan for a period of years. And somewhere in there, I stumbled across a book called The Portable Coach by Thomas Leonard. Now, Thomas Leonard was like one of the great grandfathers of modern coaching in the United States. He he went on bus tours. He's it. I, I, right. He's it. You know, it, that's the CPA, right? Yeah. That's yeah. Accountant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, died way too young. The thing is, I think he created so much content. His body was like, nope, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> that guy was a prolific writer, prolific coach, mentor, teacher, trainer. He just did everything. And his book really inspired me. And at the time I was a minister. And at 28, I read this book and I was like, man, this is everything I'm not doing right now. Well, hold up. Did y'all just hear that? KJ was a minister. I, I knew that and I forgot. This man is so dope, right? He's done everything. Carry on. Yeah, man. So, I mean, I grew up in ministry. I mean, my great grandfather was a, a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor. My father was a music minister and choir director. My mom taught Sunday school. My uncle was a pastor. It was all around me. So inevitably, I was heading in that direction in some way. Um, I didn't really know why though. It it felt like it was a, I was compelled into ministry. And it wasn't until I read that book that I realized what I was really yearning for. And that was a life of influence that didn't have dogma attached to it. That wasn't bound by the limitations of other people's belief systems. That I could help a whole human being become even more whole more recognition of their wholeness, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so in that journey, I took some of those principles and just began to integrate them. I was also a business owner. I had an eBay business. I had some real estate. I owned a couple of properties in Michigan. Uh, so I was a landlord too. You know, I was mm-hmm. holding all these hats, trying to be mm-hmm. all these different things. I told y'all he was everything. See, stop. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and I also was doing my own consulting business. I had a recording studio in my basement. I was helping little younger gospel groups record their demos and, and put stuff out like that. So I just wanted to create. I wanted to bring people together and help them thrive. So I had mastermind groups coming out of my house. And, uh, and so there were so many things going on. That book 
shifted me to realize exactly what I was about doing. Mm -hmm. And one of the key principles that I learned from, from that book, uh, the portable coach, which I think changed its name. I think it's, it's now the 17 laws of attraction or something like that. I think the publisher re reframed it when the <laughs> secret came out to uh, somehow gain some more sales. But, yeah. um, but, but the big principle that I gained from that book was remove your tolerances. Like there are so many things that I was putting up with so many things that I was just letting pile up on me that I was mm -hmm. carrying unnecessarily that I was choosing to carry because I felt like it was my duty. And that was family stuff, church stuff, personal stuff, history, personal history. And I decided that all needs to go. That single decision started an avalanche in my life. And all of a sudden I find myself separated on my way to divorce, moving to Chicago, businesses all fell out of the sky. I mean, just <laughs> mm -hmm. two, two houses burned down in a year. Um, literally, literally. Well, one house burned down, one had serious plumbing issues that were irreparable. Uh, I would have mm -hmm. to gut everything underneath the house. So it's just start all over, mm -hmm. just give it up, stop. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. everything in my life started just crashing down. And I realized like, all I really have left is this little thing called coaching. And so I made a, a life of what I had left and rebuilt when I moved to Chicago. And I had a IT consulting job that I was, you know, using to make the ends meet. But I spent my evenings at Starbucks in Old Town at North and Wells, those of you who know where that is. And I would spend, you know, eight hours there. I'd stay there from like eight o'clock at night after I got off of work to like two o'clock in the morning. And whoever would come in there, I would just sit there and talk with them. I would invite them to have a conversation. We even had a little crew there after a while that, that we would meet there all the time and just study or share or learn and share books. And it just developed a community. All of a sudden I was doing the thing that I said I wanted to do was, was curate and cultivate a community. Yeah. And so that, that is how this whole arc of the universe, like bending towards my own inner justice, you know, bending me back towards the thing that I'm really wired to do. That brings me, you know, not, not entirely to now, but that, that got me to the place where just before I started working at that company that, that we met each other at um, as mm -hmm. a contractor. And, mm -hmm. and it wasn't until then that, that I began to really see clearly my gift, my calling, my work is, is in this space called coaching. Yeah. You know, thank you for sharing that. And, and I think, wow, people, you know, you said when you sang in church, at first time and you got that applause you said i had something mm -hmm. right can you say what that something is what do you think that something is because it's that something that created all of this knowing around connecting people being creative helping people thrive gathering people working with people to help them feel like they belong what is that thing that's something that you realize you had if you could put a name on it. Mm. This is probably the best reduction I can make. I had love in me. You had love in you. And I wanna, love is the reduction, but to me, love is art. Love is expression. Love is generosity. Love is a willingness to, to, to be vulnerable. Love is a gift to interpret what is and share it with everybody else so that they understand what is. 
even if they they have this hint. There's a a kind of expression in especially in the church space uh, that we call prophetic song, and it's it's written of in the scriptures, and and you see it today in the form of you look across gospel music and there's a bunch of them. There, there are folks who do Gregorian chant who, who also do similar things, but it's essentially, it's being able to ascertain something in the ether, something in the, in the moment, in the field that we're sharing with other folks and be able to articulate it by word or by song or by music, by instrument, by acting, by singing, you know, whatever that particular gift you have by movement in some way, to be able to translate what's in the ether, what everybody seems to have a sense of, but doesn't have the language for, and then bring it into the now with some gift that you have. That's love. Oh, I, I, you know what I, you touch on, I call it essence. Mm. Call it essence, just the, the emotional field. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The thing that just is, like you said, it's just there. And because we're humans, we try to put words to it. Mm -hmm. Or some of us try to express it yeah. through body movement, like you said, but, but it, it, not that this is a negative thing, but once we start trying to describe it, it, <laughs> it begins to become incorrect. It's, you can't really, it's, it's, <laughs> it's the idea of the there. ineffable, like you, there are no words for it. No words. Yeah. But, okay. but collectively we can express it collectively because we all have some part of it. Like we all have yeah, some and amplify it. Yes. And exactly, amplify it. Exactly. Yeah. Which is like, yeah. you think about the, uh, the scripture that says wherever there are two or three gathered together, there I am in the midst speaking of the, the divine presence. And I think of that in every context that I'm in, that if that's true, and I believe it is true, then anywhere we go, there is divinity there. Whenever we are with one other person, there is divinity between us. That's the field, right? That's, that's the, the field. field of possibility, the, the essence of possibility. And so being able to pick up on what that possibility is, that's it. That's the whole thing. And, and so when you're with someone and you, you feel bored, you're, you're not paying attention to the possibility. You're not looking for that field. You're not even honoring that field's presence because it's there. It's always there. We just have to figure out a way to honor it, to allow ourselves to honor it. Yeah. So here's where, here's where I want to go because it's, it's touching on work mm -hmm. that I do around relationships. Yeah. Where at least two come together. Mm -hmm. There is something between us that just is. Mm -hmm. Right. So how has this knowing informed you in relationships? personal, professional, how does it inform the work that you do mm. and how you navigate your work as a professional, as a man in the world? How has it form, informed your definition, your framing of relationships? And then how do you work with relationships? Uh, you know, now you're digging. Now you're digging. This is good. <laughs> no, uh, I am so, digging. <laughs> yes, you are. Um, and I'm not mad at you. This is everything to me right now. My life right now is right in that smack in that work of how am I relating? How am I relating to the people I love? How am I relating to my family? How am I relating to my kids? How am I relating to my ex-wife? How am I relating to my clients? How am I relating to my friends? And it's always 
that which is in me that is a barrier to relating. It's always that. I've been in a, in a, a course for a few months now. And one of the things that came up for me was I have some issues still with religious people. So in the course of this conversation I was having, it was a practice conversation that if, if I find that I'm, I feel resistant in a conversation and that conversation is about someone who is having a, a, a really strong stance about what they believe, I have to manage that thing in me that is creating a barrier to me being present with them. And I find that this is all of my work everywhere. So if it's with my, my son and we've had some kind of personal history and that personal history is in the way of me being present with him, it's my responsibility to get rid of that, not his. It's not his responsibility to clear that out for me. It's my responsibility to clear my own shit out. <laughs> and so with clients, it's the same thing. And I don't know about you, but I feel like every client I have is a reflection of some issue that I have. Mm -hmm. And every time they talk, I think, oh, God, that's, me. <laughs> that's, that's so me. And, and yet I am charged with helping him or her usher themselves through that barrier. So if I bring my stuff to the conversation, it's not helpful at all for them. To me, it's always about if I'm serious about wanting to create this presence between me and my client or me and someone I love, me and someone who I'm just meeting for the first time, if I want to create a presence there, I've got to first be knowledgeable of myself enough to know what is the crap that I'm bringing to this presence. Because when I bring crap to the presence, the presence is like dissipated. Yeah. It can't really self, self, do, its, do its work. Yeah. Self-love and self-knowledge. Uh, I talked about a couple couple episodes ago, mm. you know, uh, and, and this, we're always bringing ourself and you talked about it, Kevin, and I want to take a peek, if you will, at some of those, your crap, right? Some of that st you want, <laughs> stuff that you, you want to take a no, peek at my I, crap. Okay. No, okay. It, All right. No, <laughs> but it, no, but here, here's the thing you talked earlier about sort of these parts of yourself that maybe you hide under the pillow or you put over there and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, you see them bubble up, you know, in coaching or in any relationship that you might have. But the thing is, is that there's still a part of you. Yeah. Right. And I, I'm really curious about this notion of clearing it out. Right. And because I, you know, we're meaning making machines. What do you mean by clearing it out? Because when I, when I think about, when I discover my stuff, you know, remember, right. Remember we talk about remember yeah. Yeah. all the members or the secret cells or the hidden aspects of ourselves. I think about it like um, coming into relationship mm -hmm. with all of the members of me, mm -hmm. coming into understanding, like know yourself, yeah. understand when was that useful for me? When is it not? How is it productive? How is it unskilled in this, this situation and skilled in that one? So who's in charge of whom and when? Mm -hmm. <laughs> all of my members. So I, I don't, I don't, for me, I don't clear it out. So for example, I have this, aspect of myself that I call that I've come to know and I call him slayer mm. right and and the image of him as a, a version of me is like a warrior a samurai you know and he's wearing black mm. and it's, it's sort of a semi-hard armor on the outside and everything is black mm -hmm. and chrome and he's got a lot of 
knives and a lot of swords. Love it. And he comes out and he cuts heads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I discovered this aspect of myself a few years back, but if I get like triggered sometimes where I feel personally attacked or insulted or I'm feeling a little bit of shame, Slayer hijacks me and he's cutting heads a rolling. Mm -hmm. I'm coming after. Mm -hmm. Not a very productive way to work when you want to maintain a relationship with the person across from you. (laughs) So I had to have a conversation with Slayer and put him in the back corner and say, you know, I really, I don't need you right now. And you generally don't get to come out to play in front. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I might need you someday. Right. I don't, I don't clear him out. Yeah. Cause I'm like, you know what you, you saved my life a couple of times. Right. Yeah. But I really don't, I don't need you jumping out in business meetings. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Or or when I'm on a date Mm -hmm. when I was young, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that sort of thing. So to me, that's, self-knowledge right and remembering and integrating so what do you mean when you say clear out this is a fascinating conversation this is you're clever i i see where you're going with this and i love it so what we're talking about is a distinction between shadow work and mindfulness you know it's this subtle play there because for instance i had as just about everybody does in some way, father issues, where I I did not want to be anything like my father. He was loud. He was boisterous. He was uh, he was rude. He was a misogynist. He 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 did all kinds of things that I did not want to identify myself or my manhood with. Now, when I reject him, I reject all of that that was a part of him, even the good things that were, he was a a really robust business person. He was a very strategic thinker, very creative. And as an engineer and a creative, he had a robust set of tools. He was a pianist, he played beautifully. I rejected all of it when I rejected Mm -hmm. him, but I never got away from it because I can't. It's a part of who I am, it's in me. I was raised Mm -hmm. around it, I watched him, I observed him, I embodied him on many occasions. Mm -hmm. At some point, I made this decision that I wasn't going to do that, but it was lying to myself about who I am. Mm -hmm. Now, at some point, that stuff is going to pop up through a piece of, you know, volcanic crust because I've I've, I've paved it over with all of my intentions to not be like that. But under the right circumstances, that shadow is going to come busting through that that pavement that I've so carefully paved and and padded down and made it look so neat and clean and unbothered, that shadow of my father is going to come breaking through that shell and cause all kinds of destruction. And it did repeatedly over and over again at the weirdest, most inappropriate moments in my life, in my career. So, you know, I'm sitting at a, at a, at a desk, giving a presentation to the director of a particular department at the state of Michigan and she asked me a question and without any thought of the context or the repercussions of me saying this, I said, no, you can't do that. Like in a very, (laughs) my dad rude, you white person, you can't tell me what to do kind of a way in front of her entire executive team. Oh, I got suspended for three days for that little shenanigan. (laughs) And, but you know, at the time I was like, 
man, where did that come from? <laughs> mm-hmm. But that was all the stuff that I had been just tamping down, tamping down over and over again. Now, the difference between that and stuff to let go of is that there are behaviors and mindsets that I've accumulated over the years that serve me at some point and no longer serve me. They are not who I am. They are things that I picked up, habits, you know, ways of being, ways of showing up, you know, thinking small about myself as a survival tactic, thinking too highly of myself as a survival tactic, you know, all, all kinds of things that, that I accumulated over the course of my life that at some point I look back and I think, you know what, you were a faithful servant. I no longer need that particular aspect in my life. I don't need to think that way anymore. So I can let go of things which are essentially thoughts, thought patterns that find their way into habitual circulation in my mind. I can say, you know what, that's unnecessary and I can let that go. Mm-hmm. What I can't let go is my essence and who I am. So mm-hmm. there are aspects that I am just coming to grips with around who my father was and who I am as a result that I'm just learning how to integrate because it took this long for me to come to terms with, well, that that's just who I am. And if I don't deal with that now, if I don't accept that aspect of me, I'm going to always be at odds with it and always be in attention about it. And I don't want to live that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. We're definitely on, on the same page. And I, I, I play with this, but I don't think I'll ever do this, but I think about my dad and I, the same thing. I'll never be like him. And you know, truth is, yeah, I'm spitting image. Mm-hmm. I mean, I look like him. I walk like him. I talk like him. And I do a lot of things like him. And some of them are, are destructive. Um, and one of the things that was true about him is um, he had a rightness about him. Mm. He's a really smart guy. He's a commercial pilot, engineer, mathematician, physicist type of thing. Very structured. And he was good at what he did. He was always in charge. He was always the boss. Mm. Right. He trained other pilots. He was a test pilot. He did a lot of things. And he had a reputation of being extremely rigid and precise mm. and accurate. And it was his way or the wrong way. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. And this and that that energy is is in me. Mm-hmm. And so I've had to reconcile and work with that and make sure that I look for ways that I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, but I joke about it and uh, and I say that, you know. And, and, and he's, he's still alive, but I joke about it and say that, at, you know, when at his passing, I, I might sing the song my way. <laughs> and everybody who knew him would get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everybody that had experienced him in his life, professionally or personally, that is a powerful aspect of who he is. And I grew up with that. And, mm-hmm. it, and it sort of became an integrated part of who I am now because of the work that you and I do and, you know, shadow work and resilience work and so on. We, we sculpt and mold and right. learn to manage and not get hijacked. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause it doesn't serve often. So, yeah. Well, I think in the spirit of the, the name of your podcast, you know, I think there's a, there's an element of range here that that's important because as I'm working through those shadow elements of myself, I need to become familiar again with what it feels like to push that boundary. So I've, I've enrolled in courses and, you know, sessions and classes where 
I can explore that side of myself fully, like really go to the extent of my rage, really go to the extent of my sorrow and experience that range, maybe even sometimes passing those boundaries that I might have thought were my boundaries. But I can't really know what that range is unless I actually do it, unless I actually experience it and feel what it feels like to almost be or or maybe be out of control. Mm-hmm. So so to, to 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 allow myself in a safe environment with other folks around me who can then help me remember, <laughs> you know, when, when I'm given that permission to explore those boundaries, now I know where my place is. Now I know where I can function optimally. Now I know that if I express my anger within this range, it's actually effective. It's an effective use of that emotion, as opposed to if I cross this line, all of a sudden I know what that feels like to cross that line, which mm-hmm. is something that so many of us don't get to experience. It's supposed to happen when we're kids, right? You know, yeah. For us to yeah. experience like, ah, you know, just lose your mind, go Hulk crazy. And, <laughs> and your parents are around you saying, okay, son, you know, I understand you feel angry. That, that's good. That's good that you express that. Here's an appropriate way to do this. Here's some, a way for you to, to know you're actually going to be able to get something done and not derail everybody else in the room. And, mm-hmm. and so that, that, the element of range is a function of us having the space to explore what our possible range is. Otherwise, you know, we, we're just guessing or we limit ourselves too much, you know? Yeah. And, 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 you know, to, to understand our range and to understand where we can expand it mm-hmm. because we may become unskillful at the end point. Right. Yep. Exactly. What's the new skill or what's the development? What, what is it going to take to cross that edge and become skillful? This is the point at which I am no longer skillful. So mm-hmm. now what? And the thing is, if we talk about something like rage and anger, mm-hmm. right? On the other end is just sort of, you know, this joy, jubilation. And the thing is, is that we get trained, we get conditioned mm-hmm. as children, as you start going through school to, to narrow that range. We're not allowed to express ecstasy mm-hmm. and, and joy we bring it in we're as in this culture anyway oftentimes we're equally or maybe even more so afraid mm-hmm. to express on that end of the range as we are on the other end where there's probably rage and anger right. and how might that serve sometimes that does serve and how do you show up how do we show up when we're at that edge and is it productive or not and what else is there yeah. And some of that is in shadow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, trainers like physical trainers, their job is to push us to our physical limit to a point mm-hmm. of, uh, 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 I can't remember what the term is, but it's like a negative gain. It's like you, you, you've pushed so much that you can't even lift that weight anymore. You can't do another push up. And then they ask mm-hmm. you to do two more <laughs> when you yeah. get to that yeah. edge, right? Because yeah. that's where the growth happens. So, mm-hmm. We need more of these venues where we can actually explore the edges so that we understand our strength. Because I think there's a lot of untapped power in our in our leaders, in our communities, in our relationships, in our families, because we've so curated our power that we don't know what our potential is. We don't know what our edges are. Um, and I think in in the coaching context, that's often what I'm doing with my clients is helping them realize you can actually show up a little bit stronger than the the way you're showing up. Oh, no, but I I don't want people to think of me as too aggressive. 
I have one client. I hope she listens to this podcast. Uh, I have one client who, who uh, basically she she had as her her number one goal. I want to be a boss bitch, KJ. And I said, okay, so what does that mean? What does that mean? So I just feel like I take it too much. Like I I just sit in the room and I take it. I just keep taking it from people. And I want to be able to just say enough. Here's what I think we need to do. And this is based on my expertise. A B C this is what I think we need to do. And when people push back, I want to be able to stand up for myself. And so at the end of our engagement, I gave her a certificate of boss bitchiness. <laughs> because she was really fired up and showing up like that. You know, she earned it. And, and I think there's so much to be said about expanding our, our range of our power, because people of color have been marginalized in their power expression, not just politically, not just you know, in terms of the kind of hairstyles we can wear to, to work or the kind of language we can use or, or what we can be educated on. So, so many things that have been kind of uh, reduced for us in our American experience that we're breaking out of now, but there's still this mm-hmm. inner thing about where is our power at? Is our power mm-hmm. really being expressed fully? And, mm-hmm. and to me, that's where the juice is. You know, mm-hmm. we start unlocking people's power as leaders and those leaders begin to unlock their people's power wow yeah what can now, an organization now you're, do you're multiplying and, and you're scaling leadership at that point for my listeners i hope you're noticing kj and his leadership and what he's saying you heard it here before and kj is demonstrating this today and he's illustrating it through some of his examples with his clients know yourself remember mm-hmm. right self knowledge love is where he's coming from self love self love power authority having sovereignty over who you are and your identity mm-hmm. right boss bitch right mm-hmm. resilience getting back up when everything crumbles. Yeah. You know, that comebackness, right? And expression. He's talking about expression. Mm-hmm. His client is now fully expressed, at least in that aspect of boss right. bitchness. That is leadership. That is leadership. And I want that for everybody. KJ wants that for everybody. And I, you know, I'm looking at KJ on my screen right now. He's just itching to say something. <laughs> say it. <laughs> well, I, I, I wanted to throw this in there because you said something uh, around, you know, in the, at least in that aspect, what I found, and I know you, you've had the same experience. We've talked about this before, is that when I'm working with someone, we're working with folks around this one aspect of their life. We're speaking to the whole person. We might be dealing with the context that they're in. They might be, uh, you know, some executive director or, or at some leadership role within the company, and that's what we're focusing on—the problems that they're encountering as leaders. But when we coach to the whole person, that whole person goes home. That whole person has a, a spouse or or a child or family members. That that leadership shift in them begins to pour over into other areas of their life. So on, a, on a, even a meta level as a coach, I know that the work that I'm doing to help this individual transform their leadership at this particular company within this particular organization or this neighborhood or community is going to trickle out into their family and their relationships. Mm-hmm. 
and then that's going to trickle out. So, so the work that we do is inherently um, contagious in that way. That, that when people start to grow and they realize their power in one sector, they don't tend to compartmentalize that power. That power starts to show up in other areas of their life. And so all the yeah. boats rise. We start working in one particular area, unlock some of those things, clear that space for them to really show up and let the divine come in there. All the mm -hmm. boats start to rise and you mm -hmm. see the quality of their life start to improve. And it's not even that you set a goal for that to happen that yeah. you, you help the whole person remember and that empowers the, the entirety of their life to start to rise. Yeah, such life affirming work. And it's one of the reasons I do this work is because I know when I work with a client or I, or I work with a group of people or a team that that's going somewhere and that's gonna have an impact on the lives of other people. Mm -hmm. And it helps me to feel like for the time that I'm here, for the time that we're here, in, in this life, that we are actually doing work that could change the world because it is contagious. Absolutely. You know, yeah. hey, we, we can talk forever. I want a couple more things here. Um, one example of something that's just been amazing, fun, inspirational, soulful experience for you, you know, sort of on that high resonance end. Um, one example of that and what did it teach you? I have like three things that I want to share all at the same time. I'll share the one that's most recent. That'll be the easiest, I think. I recently had a getaway to Puerto Rico. Um, this was this past summer, July. So um, in order to go, you know, I had to get the COVID exams and, and get cleared and all that stuff before you get there. Um, and I went on a solo trip, rented this beautiful place uh, in the middle of El Yunque rainforest on the island of Puerto Rico. And I spent some time there by myself, just, just in nature, listening to the rainfall. This is around the time that one of the tropical storms was coming through at the same time. So like three out of the seven days that I was there uh, were the only sunny days that were there. Every other day was just you know, a torrential rainstorm, but it was beautiful and it was relaxing and it was just restorative all the way around. In the middle of that time, there was a sunny day and I decided to go out to the beach. And while I was out there, I noticed that there's this enormous exposed coral reef. I just felt like exploring. I went out there and, and uh, walked out there. There's this enormous white tree trunk, looked like a redwood, except it was entirely white, just bleached. And in the middle of that tree stump, there was a stone that had been left there by somebody previous. So I sat there for a minute and I just took some time to take in the view. And as I was about to get up, maybe 20 minutes later, I was about to get up and this, this voice spoke to me saying, maybe it's about time you have your ceremony. Honestly, I didn't know what that ceremony was, but I was hearing voices on the edge of Puerto Rico and in and, and, and the ocean. And so I'm, I'm just going to go with it. So, okay, what would you have me do? I'm sitting out talking with the ocean about this. And I picked up another stone because I wanted to leave a stone uh, alongside the stone that was there when I got there as just a marker of respect for the space. And I placed it there already. So when I asked the question, what would you have me do? That voice spoke again and said, you have two stones there before you. One was put there by someone else. One was put there by you. 
These are the burdens that you carry in your life. And it was as if the whole ocean just washed over me in that moment because I, I realized what was happening. This was effectively an awakening and an initiation of sorts. And as I, as I sat there, I, I started to contemplate these are the burdens. And literally one was given to me, a set of burdens, and one was a set of burdens that I picked myself. <laughs> uh, and and i chosen to carry these things. I'd chosen them in my life. And, and as I sat there in reflection, I realized that so much of my identity was tied up in the things that I carried. So much of who I was, was embodied and wrapped up in these two stones that I began to resist the idea of throwing them into the ocean to, to let them go would have meant for me to let pieces of me go like, wait, what, what, is that what you're asking? Is, are you asking me to throw parts of who I am away? And Neil, I'm telling you, I, I spent a good half hour there wrestling with myself and with, with this voice, like mm -hmm. compelling me to, to let these things go, to cast them into the ocean. And I finally got this to this, this resolution, like, maybe these things are not who I am. Can I let go of that belief? Because the belief was that these things are me. And in that moment, I let go of it before I let go of it. It was like that moment I realized, oh, these are things I'm carrying that are not who I am. Mm -hmm. And yeah, some of those things may have helped shape me, but they are not me. Mm -hmm. And I picked up those stones and I threw them both into the ocean. Mm. And the moment I threw them into the ocean, it started to rain. And I sat back down on that tree stump and just let the rain wash over me. And when it was done, I got up, I gave a deep bow to the ocean and to that tree stump because I had been moved. Wherever I was when I arrived at that beach, I was not at that same place. And to be able to find that connection to nature, to be restored in that way, to, to begin a process of healing around what I thought was so important to me, but it was really a burden. It was really an unnecessary weight in my life. I came back from Puerto Rico with a whole new perspective on the work that I do, but more importantly, the person that I am and, and who, who I identify as, uh, not as my burdens, but as me. So that's, that's my latest experience. Remember. 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 Wow. Thank you for sharing that, uh, KJ. That was beautiful. And I, you know, I, I just want to leave it right there uh, so people can hold that story of remembering just as you said it. I want to close today with a request uh, of you. I want you to sing a little bit for the listeners and just leave them with that voice of yours. And uh, you can choose, you know, whatever it is that comes to mind, that comes to heart. 
And let's just close out with a few lines of your voice in song. Oh, thanks, Neil. I want to share a, a verse from I Can Only Be Me uh, by Stevie Wonder. Butterflies begin from having been another as a child is born from being in a mother's womb. But how many times have you wished you were some other? Someone than who you are. Yet who's to say that if all were uncovered, you will like what you see. You can only be you, as I can only be me. That was amazing. It would have been so easy to just keep going with KJ in conversation and storytelling. He's just an awesome coach and human being. You heard what you heard, and you'll make of it what you will. Think about what reframing you need to do and where you need to remember. I am just so blessed to have people like KJ in my life, and I'm delighted that he came here to share with you today um, his beauty. If you want to reach out to him, all of his deeds are in the show notes. Thank you so much, KJ, for coming here and blessing our listeners today. For listeners, I hope you were either inspired, learned something, or simply got some positive vibes from this episode. We all need it. And as always, I hope you will come back to listen to the Leadership Range with each new episode. You can connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Instagram. And if you have a topic suggestion or know someone who ought to join us for a conversation, I would appreciate the support and referrals. I welcome them. Send your email to me at neil at neiledwardscoaching.com. I look forward to you listening to more episodes.